Hello and you're very welcome to this week's Out of the Ordinary. Today I'm outside the Assembly Hall in Colosh to Isagon in Port Arlington in County Leash where Paddy Slattery is about to give a talk on ability awareness to the Leave Insert and Transition Year students here in the school. Now, Paddy is my guest today on Out of the Ordinary and he is a filmmaker, a motivational speaker, a singer, songwriter and a poet and all of that despite the fact that at 17 years of age he was in a car crash that left him paralysed. He's about to start his talk, so let's go in and have a listen. My name is Paddy Slattery. I'm going to talk about ability awareness because um, for some reason I know I'm a wheelchair user and uh, a lot of people tend to expect me to be an expert on uh, disability awareness. But uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of a spin on that and I'm going to talk about all of the things I can do, all of the trouble I get myself into and uh, I'm going to try my very best before the end of this class not to get kicked out because uh, (laughs) I've come close a few times in the past. To be honest, I don't feel there's anything extraordinary or extra special about myself or my life or my story. In fact, the more I, I've sort of lived and the more I, I get to know other people, the more I realise that I'm just as ordinary as anybody else and that's, I wouldn't want it any other way because um, there can be a huge sort of a sympathy factor uh, sort of uh, related to somebody like myself in my own physical sort of predicament. And to be honest, I don't want special treatment. I don't want to be... You know, it's nice, obviously, you know, people helping, you know, with doors and that kind of stuff, but um, actually, you know what? I lie, I'm a hypocrite, because there are so many perks to being in a wheelchair, right? And, and the first one is I get into nightclubs for free. That's, a, that's actually a fact. I don't have to queue to go into nightclubs, you know that? I can just bypass the queues. And uh, But not only that, actually, um, whoever's with me gets in for free as well. And uh, that's, that's true as God. For me, well, you can hear Paddy telling a story to all the students there in the background. And what's absolutely fascinating about it is watching the students' reaction. First of all, they're incredibly silent and engaged, and particularly the boys. And they're listening and they're laughing and they're believing. And he's relating to them. It's really interesting to watch how he appeals to them so much. In a nutshell, right, because I know I've been rambling on for a while, right, and on a very serious note, because you know I was telling you I couldn't look myself in the eye in the mirror, but after a while I actually started to be able to look myself in the eye, and you know what happened? I actually started to love myself, and when I say love myself, I don't mean it in a... I I fell in love with myself, and I love myself now more than I love anybody else. I don't mean in an egotistical manner. I don't like lie awake at night fantasizing about myself. You know, it's not that kind of love. I don't. I don't lust myself. But I love myself more than anything. I even love myself, this is going to sound strange, but I love myself more than I love my mother, my family, my brothers and sisters. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't step out in front of a train and sacrifice myself for one of my family members. I would in a heartbeat. But what I'm saying is, and what I've discovered about life and what I've discovered about myself, is that in order for me to feel complete, I think you need to love yourself on such a degree that immediately you realize, you know what? If I love myself this much and I know how I want to be treated, then I know how other people need to be treated and deserve to be treated. Because I know right now, I am the richest human being on this earth. I don't worry about the future. I don't think about the past. All I know is 
I'm alive, I'm in this experience, and I'm enjoying it to the best of my ability. And everybody here in the room, and this is why I'm saying I'm no more special than anybody else here in the room. We are all connected in this amazing matrix of energy. And as soon as you understand that you're a part, or as much a part of that as anybody else in the universe, you'll suddenly understand that you are actually the most important person in this life. And I tell you what, discover that, life will begin, I suppose. But anyway, I'm going to shut up. I'm remembering now. So. Hi, what's your name? Dara Dixon. Well, did you enjoy that, Dara? Yeah, I thought that was phenomenal. Paddy's story was absolutely amazing. It was outstanding. Hi, what's your name? Shannon Gregory. Well, what did you make of Paddy? I loved it. Every minute of it. It's really intriguing. In what way intriguing? What, what, um, what are you thinking? It kept your mind on him the whole time, listening to everything he's saying and all his experiences and all that. I mean, are you surprised at how positive he is? Yeah, because you wouldn't think anyone with a disability would be as optimistic, but he is, and that's a good thing. Uh, my name is Conor Hulhan. He's a great man now, fairly inspirational now, in my opinion, just to come out here into the school and talk uh, what happened throughout his life, like, how oh, it was very inspirational. I don't think I'd be able to do that myself. Just the fact that he said, ne- like, never give up hope, like, it's, it's a great thing to have, like, you know. Now, Paddy, here we are in your home here, just outside Clombaloke. Welcome, welcome. You done the, the the special code at the gate, yeah? <laughs> yeah it's like Paddywood here. What am I looking at? <laughs> it is. That's actually what we call it for the crack, uh, Paddywood. But this is my humble abode. We're out in the back garden. The sun's cutting the rocks. I'm going to take you for an old grand tour of the old studio and... Uh, which wing will we start with? We'll start with the west wing, it okay. sounds more appropriate. <laughs> the old flowers are withering this time of year, as you can see. Every, has, has the whole house been specially adapted for you? Uh, yeah, I built it about ten years ago with my own spec in mind, so it's, it is my own little haven. So I tend to become almost institutionalised out here yeah. because of the access, but uh, that's good. It's good to get a flavour of the real world as well. Uh-huh. This is uh, my studio. I'm going to take in for the grand tour. Okay. <laughs> so let me just open. Is the this door where you here. do all your work? This is where the magic happens, or okay. actually the, the the real Dawson begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is we built this ourselves as well. Uh, my dad and my brother built it a few years back. Uh, again, it's completely uh, adapted. It is two stories, but. Uh, as you can see there, we have a little a platform lift and that. Look at all your awards. Oh, let me go over quickly. Mexico International Film Festival, best show at the moment, Paddy's Lottery. There you have the Lucrame International Film Festival, the Royal Television Society. God, you have a lot of awards, Paddy. I oh, there's more over there. Plenty of brown envelopes passed around. <laughs> yeah, I know there um, with a few short films we did very well in, in film festivals. So uh, we're very lucky. Now, this is the village you grew up in, Clombalogue. Can you tell me a little bit about your life? Dare I say pre-accident? I don't mean to split it in two. You know, but you know. You're right. That's, I feel like I've, got, I've lived two lives, mm-hmm. part A and part B. Uh, but so pre-car crash, I was... Um, yeah, Clonbalogue, where I, I grew up, it's, for anyone that doesn't know, it's a little village in the Midlands and awfully. And I was so blessed because I also grew up in an age pre-mobile phones, pre-Facebook. So we, when I say we had a childhood, we had a childhood um, out playing in the fields and making bows and arrows and robbing apples and uh, all that kind of crack. Like I have a big family, uh, like three brothers and four sisters. And, and where are you? Slap bang in the middle, the eldest lad though. 
I mean, at that time, we were, I mean, in fairness to my family, we were struggling. We were literally on the breadline and uh, the old rental guy come around every week and you're not quite sure if you're going to be living on the street. But So times were tough. But aside from that, you know yourself when you're young and uh, carefree, your health at that point is your wealth and uh, you don't concern yourself with bills and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I look at my life and especially my childhood and I'm one of the fortunate few because I know... Other people uh, run into different childhood traumas and thankfully I was not one of those. And a young Paddy of 14 or 15, documentary maker, short filmmaker now, poet, all of that. Was there any inkling at 14 or 15 that's what you were going to do or had you any ambitions to do that kind of thing besides your propensity to look out the big windows at school and imagine? Never would I have even dreamt I know growing up as kids, we were all singers. We were all known as, oh, the Slatteries can sing, hold a note. So we were all in the choir. So that was probably my only artistic, I guess, um, avenue or expression. But I never would have imagined. It was literally through sheer boredom sitting at home or in hospital with nothing else to do with my life. And somebody handed me a keyboard and I suddenly wrote a poem. And it was actually a very short poem, the very first poem I wrote. Shall I recite it? Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to set the scene before I write this po- or tell you this poem. It's only two words long. You have to imagine four. I was four years into intense physical therapy, uh, coming to terms with you know not walking and all that kind of stuff. I have people around me twenty four seven, and I value my privacy, my my personal space so much. And all that was taken away. So you constantly have somebody around you looking after you and all that kind of stuff. So I found myself in a room in the back of my house. Uh, on my own, computer was switched on, and uh, it was actually an old Hewlett Packard typewriter um, with a piece of paper in it. And everybody left the room and left me to my own devices. And I sat there for the first time in a long time, and I expressed myself in a very short poem. And it simply read two words: "Fuck off." I wrote that, and it was on the page. And I remember looking at it, thinking, "Oh my god." Wow, I just, it felt like a huge weight off my, my shoulders and my chest because I've been longing to say something for so long and, and I guess express some kind of an anger and confusion from the whole situation. And there was an on page looking back at me. And I got the person who came into the room, I can't remember who it was at the time, I said, can you get that piece of paper crumpled up and put it in the fire? Honestly, that was the day that opened up a floodgates of uh, emotion, an emotion that I expressed myself through writing and and then eventually singing and poetry and song and all that. But it was my therapy. Um, But it all started off with that little two-word poem. When did you leave school and what did you do? I left after my junior cert, but my mother begged me to stay on, obviously. Um, But at that time, to be honest... I like my parents were separate. I had a big family and I felt in many ways the man, the house, the breadwinner. The eldest boy. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I kind of I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that role because it was an excuse for me to leave school and work. And of course, every summer we'd be on the bog raising money. But I wanted to take that full time. And I begged my mother for about two years, please let me leave school. And she did eventually because we had a couple of friends and relatives in London. She thought, you know what? At least if you're going to be leaving school, you're not going to be dosting on the street corner. You're going to be off making a living and earning a craft or whatever. So I went to London. I spent a year there. Now, saying that, when I think back, 
now it was great being a man and all this kind of stuff at 16 or whatever but as soon as i get to london i'm missing home i'm missing my mother's cooking i'm missing you know i'm listening to christy moore and finbar fury and they're talking about the hills of donegal and i'm thinking oh geez i want to go home. jimmy mccarthy missing yeah. you i give all for the price oh, of i'm missing pint. you go on Brenda. no you i give daddy. all for the price of a pint in fact i would have done nothing for the price of a pint back then but there was one girl in fact i used to fancy her i won't say any names i won't shame or on the radio but <laughs> I used to fancy the pants off this girl and I'd been sort of working on her for a long time and just never had the courage to go up and ask her for a date and this is pre-Facebook pre-internet so I'm off in London it's like being off on a different planet that and other reasons kind of dragged me back home Paddy maybe I'm sidetracking but I'm kind of intrigued <laughs> by this girl you came home from London for mainly any luck with her oh my god it's ironic how it, how it turned out but um I eventually knocked up the courage to ask her on an official date three days before my car crash no way three, yeah three days and literally we had planned to meet up in a Dangan festival the next week the following Friday of course I was in the car crash Monday and my whole life had turned upside down and uh, in fact I don't think I'd seen her I, I'm afraid to give away too many intimate details mm. but I don't think I've I'd seen her till about maybe six months to a year after after the fact if you know what I mean and uh, she actually visited me in hospital with her boyfriend oh. <laughs> god that's low I know that's hard and you're it's, there Lying in the bed in the rehab in Dunleary. Yeah, and trying to watch a Liverpool match on the telly because yeah. I'm a Liverpool fan mm. for my troubles. Yeah. And then she comes in with her boyfriend and I'm thinking, wow, I, if there's a God up there, he's got one sick sense of humour. But it was okay, I different things, bigger fish to fry in my life at the time. I got over it. Indeed, and Paddy, this morning you told the pupils in Colossia East Gone in Port Arlington. The events of that day and the car accident. If you don't mind, we'll go head back to you telling the pupils the story of that day because I think you told it so vividly. So we're heading back over to you telling the pupils what happened on the 14th of October 1996 that changed your life. The car crash, it was on like a Monday. I'll never forget because the company we used to work for, we'd done jobs in Dublin, right? So we would have to travel from, say, Clonbelog, where I lived, to Edenderry or Tullamore, and the company van would pick us up. And it just so happened on this morning that the two guys that I used to travel to work with, one guy who used to drive us, his car was in the garage that day. But I knew that evening that when we got out of Dublin and dropped off in Edenderry, I knew that we had to... I guess we had to turn a lift or hitchhike our way home. From Edenderry to Clonbelog, it's about seven miles. And I would have thumbed that road a lot. It's very rare that you even get a lift. So I was thinking, when I got out of the company van, I was thinking, Jesus, like there's three of us getting out of this van looking for a lift home. You know, what are the chances of that even happening? I was thinking maybe when we get out, we might need to separate and, and try and get a lift that way. The funniest thing happened, I got out of the, we got out of the work van and immediately, as, as soon as we stepped onto the side of the road, a car pulled up and said, he's want a lift? A, a guy that I didn't even know. But I, I remember sitting into the passenger seat, and I'm not just saying this for the sake of saying it to, to yourselves, but um, I remember looking at the driver, and he was young enough, and I remember thinking, oh, God, will I put on my seatbelt or not? I, a weird voice went off my head saying, oh, well, if you put on the seatbelt, maybe he'll think you're a bit of a pussy, or maybe you don't trust his driving or whatever. So it wasn't a big deal at the time, but I do remember for a, a, a quick instant thinking, no, I won't put on my seatbelt. The irony of it was that I found myself within two miles of it, out the road, we were in a huge crash. 
we used to have this competition among the lads. We used to, you know, look at cars in the distance and see who could name the car model, engine size, the quickest. I remember looking at, at the road ahead of us. Now, I remember the guy was driving fairly, fairly fast, but there was some kind of a, a car or something up ahead of us going in the same direction, but we were kind of catching up on it. Now, it was bugging me because I couldn't figure out what it was because I had a, a weird weird back lights on it and I was thinking I can't figure this out and as I'm kind of staring at this kind of thing in front of me I actually know it's actually we're coming up behind us pretty quick and on a side note I remember getting so close to it I was thinking it was actually a van with a trailer on it and that's kind of what drew me I couldn't figure out what model it was because of the trailer but as I'm kind of weirdly thinking of that I suddenly realize the driver's going to swing out to overtake this van and just as we were kind of halfway out by this van overtaking it, the van just happened to meet a tractor that was parked on the side of the road at the same time. And so the van was pulling out to overtake the tractor. And, of course, the van had no indicators. In fact, the lights didn't even work on this trailer. So we find ourselves halfway out by this van and the van pulling out as well. And we were kind of running our road. And I remember quick thinking, I was thinking, yeah, the driver's going to back off now and let the van out because, you know, obviously it's a bad road. Plus it was a bumpy road, but all I could hear was the foot going down the throttle. And uh, I was saying to myself, he's actually going to try and get out by this van. And I knew by the driver that he didn't know the road so well because, you know, when you know some of the bog roads, you kind of know what potholes and bumps and that to avoid. And I knew, I just knew that stretch of the road. I was thinking, right, Paddy, you need to brace yourself. This is not going to end well. And lo and behold, I remember him getting out so far and the wheel went over the bank on the right-hand side. And it must have lost traction because I could hear, I could hear kind of gravel and then grass and then, then that kind of stuff. And I just remember closing my eyes and I crossed my hands across my chest and I said to myself, I'm in God's hands now. I, I could hear everything play out in this slow motion, real amplified kind of a scary kind of way. I could hear bottom of the car scratching off the ditch and going into what was like a deep, like a deep ditch and ravine and it hit a tree and the car flipped over and I could hear, I could hear glass smashing. I could hear metal twisting and I could hear the guys, again, I, I, I don't know if I've just got one sick sense of humor, but... One of the guys behind me, he likes to think of himself as a bit of a hardy book, you know. And he's remember in The Simpsons, there was an episode where um, Ned Flanders screamed and everybody thought it was a girl. And he remember that. And they couldn't figure out who was this scream and suddenly discovered. Honestly, I, I heard this scream in the background. And I was thinking to myself, I don't remember there being any girls, little girls in the back of the car. Because it sounded like a girl screaming. But it actually sent a chill down my spine because here's a big hardy man screaming like a girl and I was thinking shit you know this must be serious and suddenly everything came to a stop and in that moment I actually felt like you know you hear people who've had near-death experiences and I actually had one of those near-death experiences I felt first of all I felt I was I was dead I felt I had passed out of my body I felt completely disconnected from my physical self for a moment and the strange thing is which I probably shouldn't say but I have to say it I have to portray it in its in its honesty, I actually felt for a very brief moment that there was no pain, there was nothing to worry about. But then all of a sudden, after a couple of seconds, I felt like I actually landed back on earth with a huge bang and immediately I opened my eyes and I could see... The only thing I could see was like the brake pedal and the clutch and, and that. 
my head was literally resting on them and the, the driver was on top of me we were sort of nose down in the ditch and um, I knew at that point right I'm alive and suddenly you know after the shock sort of kind of wears off a little bit you're starting to process sound and, and, and sensation the weird thing for me because I had no idea at that time I'd broken my neck I dislocated my shoulder and different things again I can't move right and but I can move my eyes and I can look around and I look ahead of me and I can see two feet I can see two uh, like boot runners they were black boot runners spalding they were like cheap American imported runners or whatever and they were my runners and I remember looking at them thinking I don't remember the lads having the same runners as me because I could feel my body actually behind me so I remember just with my eyes I kind of followed along my legs and then the body and then I looked at myself and I was thinking that's actually my body up there and I can feel my body back here again that realization that something's not quite right I mean I didn't know what paralysis was but but that was my immediate awareness of it could barely breathe I didn't know at that time but physically my diaphragm had collapsed and been instantly paralyzed as well so I could barely breathe I remember thinking oh god I just wanted to shout for help and I went to shout for help and I just it was almost like there was a suction in my voice I went to go and I was like I can't talk and I was like help 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 and that's all I did for what felt like an eternity I was like help 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 well, as you can clearly hear there, Paddy tells his story very well and he had the pupils there in the palm of his hand. And why wouldn't they be with such events of a day 19 years ago? You also talked about your jacket. Tell us about the significance of your jacket. This this car crash happened on the Monday. For some reason, unknown reason, I wore my good Sunday jacket to work that day. Now, this was my, you know, my pulling girls jacket. This was, I was proud of this jacket. I just I remember the whole day I was protecting it because I was working on the building site, painting and decorating, and a lot of the lads that I worked with were all a bit, you know, rogues. You know, if there's somebody walking in on a production site with um, a very clean jacket, somebody will deliberately try and get it dirty for you. So I was protecting this jacket all day, and of course, as the day unfolded, I was in the car crash. I'm on the road, I'm lying there, and I'm brought to Tullamore Hospital where they literally have to do a, a life-saving uh, operation because I had actually broken my neck, uh, C5, C6, it was a spinal cord injury. <laughs> I just remember um, lying on the stretcher because I could see everything, and the doctor with this big, huge industrial scissors cut through my clothes and my, my jacket like a hot blade through butter. And I remember lying there completely paralyzed and thinking, if this fecker wasn't saved my life right now <laughs> i would be pulling myself off the stretcher and and strangling him because he just he cut through my jacket and he threw it in a black bin bag and and i knew in a crazy kind of a way i knew from that moment onwards my life was never going to be the same again my jacket was destroyed and that jacket became a metaphor for my life because um everything i knew and once wore and felt comfortable in was taken from me and there was no more but yeah that jacket it broke my heart when that jacket got destroyed after all the surgeries and the prognosis a year in Dunleary in the National Rehabilitation Centre there most people were kind of go under mentally you were not happy out but you were you were okay yeah I I had this perpetual smile on my face so much so that the, the, like everyone that goes through that trauma in National Rehabilitation Hospital is assigned a counsellor for just post-trauma stress and all that. And I didn't want it. I was happy. I, I felt even at that time, 
I was alive and I felt blessed to be alive, I immediately from the off, I felt like second chance syndrome. Because I literally, when I was in that crash, I thought that was it, lights out, I had made my peace. So suddenly I'm handed this second opportunity to have another go at it. And and that's the, the mentality I brought into that situation. I'm alive, how do we get out, you know, get out of this bed? How do we continue with our life? The family pulled together like a magnet. And that's what we did. We were, we just sort of carried ourselves through it. I'm thinking back to Paddy at 14, robbing orchards and whatever. <laughs> and then he comes home after this tragic accident. He's in a wheelchair. He spent a year in Dunleary. How did you discover Paddy, the filmmaker, the poet, the songwriter? Where did that happen, Paddy? Again, true between... Sorry, the... I'm not saying there were different people. Yeah. But, you know, how did that side come true? See, I was on a mission. Brenda, my mission at that time was to walk again. So I went out into the old eater, into the internet universe to try and find out ways of, of, of getting myself right. Because I've heard so many success stories of people being healed and mind over matter and the power of uh, intention and all this kind of stuff. And I was inspired by that. That's what kind of gave me a purpose and a motivation. So I started to discover all these different aspects of 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 a world that I was not even familiar with. It was all alien to me, like, um, like say, spiritual healing, bioenergy, Reiki, kinesiology, all these different forms of, I guess, understanding how the body is not just made up of physical particles, but these metaphysical energy particles. Basically discovered, in a nutshell, a, 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 almost a shortcut route to who the source of who I actually was call it a soul, call it a spirit, behind that identity that we become familiar with and wrapped up with and stressed about. So behind all that, I discovered who I really was, I suppose. And once I went there, there was no going back. And if you can go there, you write the rules yourself. I was no longer, I guess, in the passenger seat of my life. I was suddenly in the driver's seat determining where I was going to go. I was the master and commander of my own ship. And that's what that that discovery, that, that self-discovery, that spiritualism, I guess, um, sort of enabled me to do, I suppose. Paddy, I hope you write as well as you speak. I'm wondering, would you have a poem for me? Something that's reflective of what you've just been talking to us about. Right. Um, oh, my God. I have written No pressure. Much. No <laughs> pressure. I'll tell you what. I have one little poem here, right? And it's it's from a, film, a recent film we just did called uh, Sojourn. But the poem, it's actually called Hope. I'll tell you what, I'll just shut up and read the poem, will I? (laughs) (laughs) Nestled in the womb, the incubated seeds of hope, caressed by the contractions, induced by the infractions, the contradicting rhythm and distraction, bringing forth an urgency between the frequency. The tunnel is breached, the walls come down, and then that charge of light, a warm invasion, the inception the birth of rebirth, the death of deception. I am awake now. I am as I was. Thank you, Paddy. That's an amazing poem called Hope there. And significant, of course, because even the pupils you were talking to today, and that's the message you try and give out, isn't it? Very much a story of hope. I think so. Um, And even going one stage beyond hope, because to hope is to aspire to. But for me affirmation the understanding and the acceptance that all is perfect in any culture it's arrogant to say i am perfect 
and I love myself. But honestly, that's I've discovered, I guess, the ability to love myself on such a level. There is only one way to express myself with sheer joy and, and, and appreciation and, and gratitude. So yeah, if, if I had a message, if I had a call and on this <laughs> art, that's probably it. Paddy, it's been beyond a pleasure talking to you on Out of the Ordinary. But I want to go back once more, if you don't mind, to to Eastagon in Port Harlington. You were chatting to the pupils and you finished with a song this morning. Why was that? Singing, right? I love singing. Mm. But for me, in a kind of a weird sense, it kind of saved my life also because at that time, my lungs and diaphragm had collapsed and uh, I couldn't really breathe. And my physiotherapist came to me and said, look, can you sing? And I said, I, I love singing, actually. She said, well, sing, sing for your life, because if you're, in, you know, if you get an infection or whatever in your lungs, you could be put on a ventilator for the rest of your life. And I mean, that was that was enough. I started singing every single day. Well, it has been a pleasure, Paddy. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll all catch up again. And we're going to leave you now with Paddy and the pupils of Closhta, East Gone and Port Harlington. And Paddy's singing Hallelujah. I heard there was a sacred chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth. The minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. I need a drink. Uh, your fate was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and that moonlight overthrew you. She's tied you to her kitchen chair, broke your throne and cut your hair, and from your lips she drew it hallelujah. Out of the Ordinary with Brenda Donahue on RTE Radio 1 Extra.